10, verse number 38. The Bible says, Now it came to pass, as they went, that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. Mary and Martha were two sisters, young ladies, that had an opportunity to have a meaningful encounter with Jesus Christ. Martha was cumbered with serving. Mary took advantage of that moment. Martha said, Jesus, Mary's not helping. Would you tell her to come help? Jesus said, Martha, listen to me. Listen to me. One thing is necessary. You're troubled about a lot of things. But one thing is necessary. And Mary made a choice. And she chose. You know, serving's not a bad thing. But she chose a better thing. Something that shall not be taken away from her. Today as we continue our study on first love, our subject today is quality time. Jesus, we pray, bless this time of studying your word together. I pray that you'd speak to us. I pray that you'd provide insight and direction. But more than that, Lord Jesus, I pray people would be spurred to make changes in their life. Changes that would draw them closer to you. And changes, Lord Jesus, that will also cause them to communicate love to those that they value in a way that means something to them. We pray in the name of Jesus for this, and we promise to give you glory for what you've done and what you're going to do in your name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. This week is uh, Valentine's Day, and uh, on Saturday, the attention or the focus will be on this thing called romance. And many red roses will be sent, and much chocolate will be sent, some of which will be consumed. I've always wondered about guys that send chocolate to girls and then they eat all the chocolate. But uh, but it's a focus on romance. And uh, Jesus said in Revelation, as we read last week, that um, his cry to the church in Ephesus was, you need to return to your first love. Return back to the way that you loved at first. That level of passion that was there at First, remember that, return to it, repent from where you've fallen. And if you don't, then I'll remove the candle from the candlestick. Return to the way you loved me at first. There are, are times in a, a married person's life where they have to take special steps to ensure that there is a renewal of the affection and the warmth of the romance. I remember one time several years ago when uh, my wife and I were um, in our marriage going through probably what you'd call a dry spell. And uh, it was uh, not that we were at the point of breaking up, but it was just there was no spark. There was no energy. There was no feeling in our relationship. And uh, we took a trip together. Not for that reason, but we had planned on taking a trip and uh, not knowing how big of a difference that trip would make. And on this trip, we went to a, a beautiful place uh, where there was uh, ocean breezes and sand. Uh, but there, there's one thing that wasn't there, and that was an Internet signal. <laughs> and uh, also... I couldn't use my telephone. And uh, I was, we were there for seven solid days. No telephone, no internet, 
No surfing the web. No email. No phone calls. I didn't know what was going in the United States of America during that time. We were across the border. And uh, so the first day or two, it was kind of a little bit nerve-wracking and anxious because we were so addicted to all of these accoutrements of modern life and communication. And and we just looked at each other like, what do we do? (laughs) What are we going to do? We have nothing to do but talk to each other and focus on one another. And at the end of those seven days in that beautiful location, something transformative had happened in our marriage. Something beautiful had taken place. And I would say, I would venture to say that the tenor of our relationship was affected from that one week for probably a year and a half to two years. The impact of that time. And what was it? It wasn't the sand. It wasn't the ocean breezes. It wasn't so much whether or not there was internet connection. But it was something called quality time that we spent together focusing on nothing else but one another and our conversations, our dreams, and the beautiful times that we enjoyed. This is a statement I want to make today that basically sums up everything I'm trying to communicate over the next few minutes. It's this. Time is perhaps our most precious commodity. How we spend and invest our time is a powerful indicator of what matters to us. And how we spend and invest our time is a powerful way to express love, both to our loved ones and to our Lord. You got that? Time. How we invest and spend our time indicates what matters to us and is a way for us to express and show love. There's one question that uh, uh, is uh, asked frequently. People just want to know, what happened to the love after we got married? I mean, we were so in love. Three, four, five, six years later, one or two kids later, what happened to it? Where is the love that we once enjoyed? Everybody's looking straight ahead. Nobody's laughing or anything because you know you got to be careful, right? What happened to it after the wedding? Why did the love die? And many people, many people's marriages come to an end. Relationships are broken. Families are broken because of a misunderstanding about what love is and how love is supposed to function in a person's life. There is a great desire for romantic love in marriage, and it's deeply rooted in our psychological makeup. And, you know, there's lots of talk and advice, books, talk shows, conversations, movies about the question of why does love die? But few have found the secret to keeping love alive after the wedding, after the honeymoon, and after the sense and the obsession of being in love has ended. And here's a deep truth. Love is an important word, but it's a confusing word as well. It's a word we use a lot. It's a confusing word because you can say, I love God, and you can say, I love hot dogs. And you can say, I love my wife, and you can say, I love the Lakers or the Clippers. Or you could say, I love swimming, or I love coffee, or I love my parents. See how it's kind of weird to use the same word about about all of these different things and the emotions they elicit in your life. So sometimes love can be a confusing word and some people can misunderstand its implications. Love, of course, is a central theme in books and songs and movies and magazines. And psychologists tell us, they know, that the need to feel loved is a primary emotional need. That every human being has. The need to feel love. So when you're seeking love, man, you'll climb mountains for it. You'll swim seas. You'll cross deserts. And you'll endure hardships for love. But without love, all of those things seem impossible. Love is powerful because it's one of the deepest psychological needs that we have. In his great book called The Five Love Languages, Gary Chapman uh, shares with us that... You and your spouse 
you and your spouse uh, must be careful to make sure not that you love them, but that they feel loved. It's not enough for you to love them. It's important for them to feel loved. In order to do that, you've got to be able to speak their love language. And their love language might be different than yours. Amen. Anybody ever hung out with somebody that didn't speak any English? And you're, and you're stuck with them for a day or two? I remember I went to uh, the former Soviet Union in the Ukraine for six weeks and I spoke no Russian and nobody there spoke any English. It was crazy. There was a lot of grunting and pointing going on. You know what I'm saying? Eh, yeah. Ah. Tengo hambre. Amen. They're like, we don't speak Spanish. <laughs> and so the five love languages that are mentioned in this book are ways that love is communicated and received. They are words of affirmation quality time that we're going to talk about today, gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. And the the, the challenging part about it all is that you probably don't speak the same language as your spouse. And so you're trying to communicate love to them, and they don't know what in the world you're talking about. Because you're doing it in a way that you receive love. And so what you have to do is you have to learn their love language, and they have to learn your love language. Because if they don't, it leads to a lot of emptiness and a sense of not feeling loved. Not only with a spouse, but every child has basic emotional needs that have to be met in order for them to be emotionally healthy and stable. And the greatest of these, or the most basic need, is the need for love and affection. Emotionally, if a child doesn't sense that they belong and that they're wanted and they're loved... Without this, emotionally and socially, they'll be challenged as they go through their life. They must feel love. It's not enough to love your kids. You've got to make sure that they feel that they are loved. You, you understand what I'm saying? See, we're like, okay, well, make sure, make sure you love your kids. Well, everybody loves their kids. But the question is, do they feel love? Because kids have love languages, too. And you may be showing them love in your love language and they don't know what you're talking about. In the meantime, their love tank or their emotional sense of value and worth and being loved. Because like, if you're not loved, you've got to find it somewhere. You've got to find acceptance. You've got to find this sense of being loved and belonging. And that's what gets so many people, young people, into so much trouble. Because there is a desire and a quest and a hunger to be loved. And uh, a lot of destructive behavior in kids, psychologists said, is because they don't sense and feel that they're... They can't communicate it to you. They can't break it down like, Mother, I know that you kiss me a lot, but what I really need is I need you to say that uh, I'm special to you, and then I would feel loved. They can't do it. You've got to do a little research because it's important that they feel loved. This need to feel loved follows us into adulthood and marriage. See, you're going to learn a bit, a little bit about marriage and a little bit about Jesus today. Is that all right? It follows us into marriage. You say, well, I'm not married yet. Well, you might be someday, so listen closely. It follows us into adulthood, and, and it's not just a need that kids have, but it's a need that grown-ups have as well, this sense of being loved. And this need to feel loved is significant. Now, here's the, here's the big issue. Here's the confusing part. Here's the part that, that causes so many marriages to break up. Are you, this is going to be revelational. Are you listening to me right now? Mom and Dad, listen to me right now. Here's the point. The point is the ushy-gushy, romantic, in-love, obsessive high was never meant to last forever. It's the in-love feeling. And it's obsessive. And it wouldn't be healthy if it lasted forever. Because sometimes you've got to get down and put your feet on the ground and go back to work, right? And focus on your future and so forth, right? So being that sense of romantic, that romantic sense and feeling of love was not intended. The obsessive feeling was not intended to last forever. The in love feeling meets the need for love in us temporarily. But it's limited in its lifespan because you come down from the high of the in-love obsession 
And the emotional need for love resurfaces again. Because it's fundamental to our nature. So you don't feel the, the, the tingle and the fireworks and the excitement anymore. Because guess what? Life has happened. Time has passed. They say the average lifespan of that in love feeling is typically no more than two years. Two years and it comes to an end. And what happens with people at that point is they're like, what happened? I don't love you anymore. I, I, I'm not in love anymore. We're stuck together now. And then, and then when you come down off the in love feeling, you, you, you start to kind of be concerned about yourself and your needs. And, and you become a little selfish. And the things that were cute now frustrate you. You know what I'm saying? And, and you've come down off of that and you don't feel the excitement and obsession and romance any longer. But it's important for us to understand this because at the heart of marriage is the need to feel loved. And if the emotional high is gone, it's important at that point to feel loved. Because material things are no replacement for human emotional love. And there's severe pain that accompanies lost love. Now, but the problem is, is since you were little, you've seen the prince fall in love with the princess. And they lived happily ever after. And it's like, oh, that's the way it's going to be. Fairy tale. When I find the one. And then you find the one and you're obsessed and you're madly in love. And two years later, it's like, I've lost that love and feeling. <laughs> I'm just playing, y'all. And uh, so it's like, I must not have got the one. Because the one's supposed to make you feel like that for the rest of your life. Baloney. Baloney. Two years. Two years max, you're going to feel that way. And then you got to switch from being in love to real love. That's what I want to talk to you about. The real love that is a transition from the emotional high and the obsession with each other and all these chemicals flowing around in your body and endorphins and so forth shooting off until finally it's done. And you come down from the high. See, literature and pop culture and prince and princess stuff has given us the fiction of eternal love when it's really just an in-love euphoria. So what do we do? What do we do when the real world comes in? There's two alternatives, people say. Number one, I don't feel that excitement and the emotional uh, percolation anymore. And so what do I do? i got two choices. Number one, i got to live the rest of my life in misery and endure this thing. Or number two, I got to jump ship and try it again. Made a mistake. Wrong one. Jump ship. Try again. That's not the only two alternatives. There's a third alternative. And the third alternative is the right alternative. Love has to shift from being in love to real love. From being in love to real love. You first got to recognize the in love experience is what it is, and it was what it was, but it ain't no more. And you got to pursue what's called what we call real love. Amen? That doesn't mean you won't have feelings and you won't feel emotional connection and it won't be exciting times, but you need to understand that healthy love shifts from the obsessive in love experience to real love. And this kind of love, this kind of love that I'm talking about is... Emotional still, but it's not obsessional. And in this love, reason and emotion come together. Real love, okay? You with me? Reason and emotion come together. In this love, it involves acts of will and requires discipline and recognizes the need for personal growth. Amen? Because I can't stay the immature jerk that I was and have real love. Somebody listen to me right now. You're trying to blame everybody else. Amen. Why don't I feel love anymore? She's so sober. You're immature. You need to grow up. You need to realize what real love is. It requires decisions, effort, and discipline. 
and, and just listen to me right now. This is a powerful statement. True love cannot begin until the in love experience has run its course. Then the shift comes and true love can begin because true love is an attitude that has appropriate behavior going along with us. Now, this is not just true in our relationship with our spouse. This is also true in our relationship with God. Remember when you first were filled with the Holy Ghost? You, were, you walked out, give me that old-time religion, make me want to love everybody, make me want to love everybody, and just huggy, lovey, kissy, excited about Jesus. And, and uh, you couldn't wait to be there. You were the first one there, and you're like, you're like, God, let me feel it again. Let me feel it again. Woo! There it comes. Woo! Hallelujah. Here comes the Holy Ghost. My lips are stammering again. It's great. This is so awesome. I've been forgiven of my sins. I'm not struggling with what I used to. Come on, somebody. You remember what it was like when you first released all the pressure and all the stress and you received the atonement into your life and God's favor and blessing. Come on. Some of you need to remember. Amen. How you felt when you fell head over heels in love with Jesus and you couldn't wait to get to church and you couldn't wait to hang out with his people and you didn't care what else was going on in your life, right? You're like, shoot, I have to go to work today? Man, I just want to go lay in front of Jesus at the church. Amen. Man, you mean I got to go take care of this and and fix dinner for my kids? I just want to pray all day, right? Falling in love with Jesus. Amen. The best thing that ever happened, right? But the reality is, even in our love for Jesus, we have to transition from the in love, obsessional love to an emotional love that requires discipline, that requires choices, and it requires personal development. Amen. See, that's where a lot of people fall off the the bandwagon. The bandwagon. They fall off. The more you laugh, the longer this is going to be, all right? They, They fall off the bandwagon. Why? Because I don't feel it like I used to feel it. And I'm not as excited and troubles come and there's been burdens somebody said something mean to me a Christian can you believe it I found out one of them church purple purple people been one of them church peeps been talking about me behind my back can you believe that why didn't Jesus change their life and before you know it what happens you don't feel that obsession and emotion, and excitement. And you come to church, you've let offense into your heart. And then when the Spirit of God begins to move and the presence of the Lord begins to move, or maybe God didn't answer that prayer the way you thought He was going to. And all that faith and all that excitement begins to... And you're like, I don't feel it. I don't feel it anymore. And that's when a lot of people walk away from God. A lot of people walk away from the church and they look somewhere else to bring that excitement and they thrill back, Right? So they're looking with uh, substances that can uh, cause endorphin rushes and so forth. But the reality is you've got to switch. You've got to transition from the in love feeling to true love, which is a dedication and a commitment and a decision. Amen. That I'm going to be disciplined. I'm going to do certain things that will ensure that I will feel loved and that I can communicate love back. To the Lord. Amen. Because long-term love is where it's really at. Amen. Long-term love is where the value and, and the blessing and the favor comes into our life. Praise God. I look at, I look at these uh, Hollywood stars and starlets that switch from spouse to spouse every two or three years uh, because they drank the Kool-Aid. And they thought that it's supposed to be romantic feeling in love obsession from here. Well, that's what love, that's not what love's all about. Love's about caring for somebody else more than you care for yourself uh, and deciding that I'm going to invest my life uh, into making sure that they feel love, that their emotional need to be loved. Is met. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. The shift has to happen. And Jesus told the church in Ephesus that they needed to return to their first love. Amen. And I want to skip over a, a tremendous amount of notes here and get close to the end here. Because what, what happens is, let, let me just sum what I'm skipping up, is that we have. Uh, a, a, a misguided concept, concept about what it means to follow Jesus. 
Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. If any man would be my disciple, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Loving Jesus is a total life commitment. It's not like something we do on the side, right? And what's happened is Christianity has marketed a form of Christianity that's not Christianity at all. Right? Because Christianity means I'm leaving everything behind and I'm following Jesus. I'm denying myself and I'm following Jesus. This is what falling in love with Jesus is. It's not just an emotional mushy-gushy, but it's like I am following Jesus with everything inside of me. I'm pursuing His presence. I'm pursuing His purpose. uh, And I'm believing that His will is going to be done in my life. So many people, when they become a believer and begin to follow Jesus, their commitment, their commitment is compartmentalized. They're like, I'll follow Jesus, but don't ask me to blank, fill in the blank. Don't ask me to forgive certain people. I'll follow Jesus, but don't ask me to save sex until after marriage, because everybody's doing it. I'll follow Jesus, but, but don't ask me to return a percentage of money to the church, to, to the kingdom of God. Guess what? Research shows that 60, 65% of young adults, that's 18 to 42, I'm still a young adult for just a few more weeks. 65% of young adults in America made a personal commitment to Jesus. Well, that's good, right? But of those 65% who say they've made a commitment to Jesus, only 23% of them believe that sex outside of marriage is a sin. 23. And only 13% of them said that getting drunk is a sin. So what they're saying is, I'm committed to Jesus, but not committed in every area of my life. In this area, I'm going to do what I want to do. But a true Christian, a true follower of Jesus is following Jesus in every area of their life. Many want to be called Christians without actually making an effort to follow Christ. You know, there's a new type of vegetarians. And uh, these new vegetarians want to be vegetarians. And and this is an example. One of the ladies said, "I, I, I love being a vegetarian, but I also love sausage. So... So I'm going to be a vegetarian unless sausage is served. And then I'll eat, I'll, I'll eat sausage if there's sausage because I love it. And so the, the real vegetarians are like, you're not really a vegetarian if you eat sausage sometimes. So they're like, you've got to come up with a word for this. You're not a vegetarian. So they came up with a word. The word is a flexitarian. That's like, I'm a, I'm a vegetarian, but I'm flexible. I'm a vegetarian unless they're serving meat, right? I like vegetables, but sometimes, you know, flexitarian is a good way to describe how many people approach their commitment to Jesus. I want to serve God, but unless, you know, in this area, we'll we'll just kind of forget about that. And the rich young ruler wanted to say yes to following Jesus, but Jesus said it's going to take a commitment of your entire life. Praise God. And so when we decide... That we're going to follow Jesus and we're going to love him. And we're, that first love is about commitment. First love is commitment. The Bible says, the Bible says, your body is a living sacrifice. Romans uh, chapter 12. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That's not asking a lot. That's just reasonable. Present your bodies as a... Now, what does a living sacrifice look like? A living sacrifice is not us doing whatever we feel like doing and then showing up on Sunday for an hour or two. It's not a living sacrifice. That's a hobby. You know what I'm saying? A living sacrifice means I'm dead now. And now Jesus is living through me. That's what he said. Take up your cross and follow me. He was saying, come and die. Following Jesus. And we we repackaged it in Christian. Come and God will bless you. Oh, my Lord. There will be so many blessings in your life and so many good things. And you'll be happy and there will be so much joy. There's going to be joy. The Bible promises that. But the reality is the call to Christianity is a call to come and die. 
Amen. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. I'm still breathing. But now it's Christ living through me. Jesus said, if you won't deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself doesn't mean just to tell yourself no. It means that you don't exist anymore. And now Jesus Christ lives through you. If we really realize what it meant to be a living sacrifice, we would realize, oh my Lord, something needs to come alive in me, in my commitment to, to serving God and to living for Him. And we get so protective. It's my stuff. It's my time. And it's like, oh, you're not going to follow Jesus because following Jesus means it's not my time anymore. It's His. And I'm going to live for Him with all of my heart. Amen. Praise God. So, a sacrifice of self includes our time, our talent, and our treasure. That's what you have. We're not literally... When we say we're a living sacrifice, it doesn't mean we're going to come up and cut ourselves and bleed. Say, I'm a sacrifice. Don't cut me so much that I die. Don't let all the blood come out, but I'm a living sacrifice. Just cut me and I'll be a living. No, that's not what it means. It means I am giving myself. And not just like this physical body. It's my time. My abilities. And my treasure. When the rich young ruler came to Jesus, he said, what, what must I do? To inherit eternal life. He, he kind of asked the right question, but he's like, what am I going to do? As if he had to do something to earn it, right? And Jesus said, well, I'll tell you what. Obey the law. He said, I've been doing it. He said, okay, one more thing. Sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. Follow me. Be my disciple. He's like, the Bible says he went away sad because he had great possessions. And, and I know I always look at the story and I'm like, oh, my Lord, am I going to have to give up all my money? Everything that I have? All my $10 in my bank account, am I going to have to give that up? <laughs> Amen. It's not about money. It's about are you willing to give Him all? Are you willing to say, God, you're in charge. It's yours now. That's what Jesus was trying to find out. Are you really going to follow me? Because if anyone will follow me, they've got to take up their cross and deny themselves. And this is what we're talking about. We're talking about first love. And we've been living in a Christian culture that's created a church that caters to people rather than challenges them to step up and to follow Jesus and to serve him with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength and our time. Our time may be our most valuable resource. One of those love languages that we mentioned earlier is quality time. Because guess what? You can always make more money, but you ain't going to be able to make more time. You only have a certain amount of time. Psalms 90 and 10 says the days of our years are three score years and ten. What does that mean? What's three score and ten? A score is 20. So three scores, 60. Add 10, that's 70. The days of our years are 70. And if by reason of strength they may be four score years, which is 80. Yet is there strength, labor, and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. 70 to 80 years are the days of man. So that means if you live 80 years, you've got... 29,000 days. That's it. 29,200 days. Me? I only got 13,000 left. 13,000 days. No amount of money can you use to purchase more of those days. That's all you got. Amen. In 80 years, you have only a little more than 700,000 hours. That's all you get. That's your, you know, typically with money, we work and then we get a paycheck. God, in a sense, gives us our time check at the beginning. And we use it throughout our life. Time is important. And the question today is, how are you investing the time that you have? We're so busy now, right? Anybody busy? Like, you ask somebody, how's it going? What do they say? Busy. Going good, but whew, tired. Busy. We're so busy in 2015. What are we busy doing? What are we busy investing and pouring our time into? We live in a time-starved society. 
that pushes us to the limit to buy more, do more, accomplish more, conquer more. And uh, we, a lot of us work more hours than 40 hours. And evenings or off times are crammed with activities. And families seldom even have time to eat dinner together. And so if you were to ask somebody, are you enjoying your life? Are you enjoying your life? No, and I don't have time to talk about it. Leave me alone, right? Because everyone is so busy. But here's the thing I want you to know is God's given you enough time. You're like, God, if you would just make it eight days per week, how about 26 hours? Sound good? Eight days, 26 hours. Would you really invest it in what's important or would you just continue doing what you're doing right now? See, the deal is you have enough time. You have enough time. But you have time to choose what you're investing in. A lot of people, they're like, well, I don't have time for prayer. Or I don't have time to read the Bible. I, I, don't, I, I, love, I love coming to church every once in a while, but I just don't have time to come to church regularly. And I know that they need help in, in, in serving in the church. I just really don't have time for that. I just have too much on my plate. So what do we do? We give God the leftovers. But we find time always for what's important to us. Right? I don't have time to pray, but I do have time to golf. Right? You know, I, I, you know, I don't have time to read my Bible, but I will be at the tanning bed three times this week. I do have time to work out. I do have time to update Facebook because, you know, i got to keep up with what's going on, you know. I have time for that. i got time for surfing or surfing the web or sports or shopping. And if I keep going, I'll probably hit you somewhere. We always have time to do what's important to us. So when you say, listen, when you say, I don't have time, what you're actually saying is, Either it's not a priority, or you simply aren't willing to choose to spend your time on it. You spend The way that you spend your time is a, a, a demonstration of your priorities. And so many of us have fallen into the trap. And I say us because I was preparing this message today and yesterday. I was weeping because the Spirit of the Lord began to deal with me about the investment of my time and about the killing of time. Because when you kill time, there ain't no resurrection for it. It's gone. Our consistent busyness is causing us to miss the majority of God's blessings because we're too busy to notice them. Mary and Martha both have the same opportunity. Mary probably had things to do too. She probably had laundry to do. She probably needed to go tend the garden and, and maybe take care of the, the, the animals that they had and sweep and tidy up. But she chose to create a moment instead. Understand that Mary was not being lazy or trying to get out of her chores. But she was choosing to focus on what mattered the most. Did you hear that? She chose to focus on what mattered the most. Can I talk to you for a little bit about time with your kids? Those of you that have children... Time with your kids is important. You only have so many Saturdays until they graduate and go off to college. And then the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, right? When you're coming home, son, I don't know when, but we'll get together then when I get home. And life has passed. My daughter is 13 years of age. In just a few years, she'll be graduating from high school. And I remember we moved to Pasadena. She wasn't even two yet. Time went by in a flash. In the meantime, my daughters come and ask for my attention. It's in, a mo- in a minute, baby, I'll, I'll, I'll help you in a minute. I'm doing something important right now. Let me finish this. Maybe later. Maybe tomorrow. And, and, and I think about my little daughter, Eden. She's five years old. Brooklyn. Who's nine? Eden's only going to be five just once. Just one time. And uh, I don't necessarily like to play Barbies, and and I'm not that interested in the dream house. But I realized the other day I got to play Barbies because her legs are too long to do the horsey ride anymore. 
and my babies are growing up. These are precious times. But I'm too busy. Doing what? What in the world? Doing what? What is more important than this? It's tempting to, to let these moments pass by. Overwhelmed by everything that's clamoring for our attention. But Mary embraced the moment. Martha was busy with all the other stuff, but she said there's something important here. She embraced the moment. Martha was like many of us, preoccupied, distracted, busy being busy. Not doing bad things, but overwhelmed with things that aren't the better thing. We're not doing bad things, we're just not choosing to do the better things. What really matters to you? That you get a few extra dollars? What really matters to you? That you know what your friends who don't even give a rip about you are doing on Facebook? What really matters to you? What is important to you? You've got to make choices. Because life is an all-you-can-eat buffet. Right? You walk into a buffet, you've got to make choices. You've got to make decisions. You can't have it all. Right? He said, I can give it a try. You can't have it all. In living life, you've got to make choices. What's better? And we, we let our schedule push us around and we're ignoring what's better. And we're doing what doesn't matter. Do I have a witness in the house? We're doing what doesn't matter. And all these things are clamoring for our attention. We're busy. Guess what? If the devil can't make you really bad, he'll just make you really busy. Really busy. Because what's most important is seldom what seems most urgent. Ah, what's most important usually doesn't seem most urgent. And the noise of all that's demanding our attention drowns out the whisper of what is enormously important. What's enormously important tends to whisper. What tries to clamor for our attention screams. Martha not only missed this great opportunity, she feels justified in missing it because she's doing things that are essential and urgent. This is just the way we're supposed to live. Lots of important activity. The busyness of busyness. You know, the busier I, I am, the more talented I am and the more valuable that I must be. And too often... Our desires to be like everybody else and have the same values about time as everybody else. Desire to be normal eclipses our desire to follow God and do what's the best. Well, like everybody else has their kids in eight different things, and everybody else has their times wrapped up in these priorities. Well, guess what? Everybody else is not pursuing holiness. Everybody else is not pursuing righteousness. And, 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 and we, we get wrapped up in popular lifestyle instead of habits that lead to holiness with our time. The Bible says, do not conform to this world. Whatever the majority is doing does not determine what's right with their time. The majority may be busy. The majority may not even talk to their kids. The major, whatever the majority is doing in the world, that's not necessarily the right thing. You have the opportunity to cho choose how your family is going to live, how, how important your kids are going to be to you. Amen. Whether or not you're going to give them the time that they deserve, whether or not you're going to give your spouse and your family the time that it deserves. You've got to learn to discern the difference between a good choice and the best choice. Amen. I believe that we've got to allow God to guide our decisions about our workload about our schedule, about our commitments. Because God has called us to accomplish great things. Amen? Praise the Lord. And at our planning meeting that we had as a church, Brother Sargent said, I pray for this church that this year in 2015, you would be given discernment to tell the difference between opportunities and distractions. And I'm praying for your family as well. I'm praying for your family the same way. Because you can't have everything. You've got to choose. And choose the best. 
Don't choose distraction. Choose God-given opportunities. Amen. Praise God. And when you go to the buffet, don't bite off more than you can chew because you'll regret it later and you'll have indigestion. That's the way some of your lives are. You've bitten off more than you can chew. Just because you can do something doesn't mean that you should. Amen. Some of you need to learn to say or. Could you say and? I'm going to have the chicken and the roast beef. Mm. No, it's fried chicken or grilled steak. It's not soccer practices and guitar lessons. It's soccer practices or guitar lessons. You guys with me? It's not working late and taking home your work. It's working late or taking home your work. And some of us, instead of... We're good at making to-do lists. Maybe some of us need to make a to-don't list. Things that we stop doing. Because your schedule is like some of y'all's ladies' closets. You go by Nordstrom Rack, and I just got to have that dress. But your closet says, no more, no more. Before you can put anything else in your closet, you got to take something out of there. The same is true with your time and your schedule. We cannot do everything. We've got to value what is important to us. Praise God. And maybe some of you need to write down three activities in your life that you're going to quit doing. You're going to drop doing. Because there's other things that are more important. Because what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Amen. Saw a family together recently in a, in a restaurant. And I walked in, all their heads were bowed. And that was how, how cute, how precious. Here in Southern California, there's a family that's praying together. Then I noticed that they were all looking down because they were all on their cell phones. Texting and, and sending Facebook sending uh, uh, Facebook messages. You, you know that uh, the average person spends 28 hours in front of the TV and you don't have time? And then on top of that, 16 hours in front of the computer screen and you don't have time. Did you guys notice, those of you that did the media fast, did you notice where did all this time come from? You know what, what we're doing? We're wasting time. Time when time is perhaps the most valuable resource that we have. Praise God. And there are important times. When we come to church, this is an important time, right? When we assemble together, as the Scripture says, when we have times of prayer, it's important times. When you have family time at dinner or game night, it's important time. But here's the deal. It's not enough just to be there. You've got to really be there. That make any sense? It's not enough just to have your body, your carcass sitting there. You've got to actually be there. Because sometimes you're there and your mind's on everything else. And you're on the phone, you're on the computer, you're doing this and doing that. And you're like, I spent three hours with my kids last night. I didn't say anything to them, but I was there. That's not what we're talking about when we say quality time. Quality time. Everything's swirling in your mind. And when you're with the people that you love, chances are good your mind may not be there. When, you're, when one of your kids is talking to you, do you give them your undivided attention? When your husband is home, husband, does your mind seem to be elsewhere? You're physically present, but you're not mentally or emotionally present. We're never going to be perfect. But this message is about, let's make choices, let's make decisions, let's do better. Let's do better. Make choices to improve at being present when you're present. Praise God. Hallelujah. The language of love, of quality time. Examples. Spending a weekend away with your spouse. Sometimes just the two of you, sometimes with the kids. This is quality time. Meeting your spouse for lunch when you're able to. Sometimes to a nice restaurant. Sometimes go someplace good like in and out When you come home at night, talk about the day and listen and do it without the TV playing. 
Spend time talking with your kids about school. Spend time playing games with your kids. Take your family and go on a picnic. Take a family vacation once a year. Go walking together with your spouse and talk in the evening while you walk. Quality time is what? It's focused attention. If I sit, uh, Brother David, if you sit with Addison here in a few months and roll a ball to her and she laughs and she rolls it back to you, it's quality time. But if you're, you're doing it and you're playing, but you're on your, on, your, on your cell phone, the quality of that time has been compromised. It's about, you're important to me. You're so important to me that I'm, I'm shutting everything else out. And I'm going to spend some time. See, this is what Jesus Christ desires from us. This is how we're able to communicate love to Him. And when we come to church, I know I'm, I'm just a regular old normal human being. I'm certainly not perfect. And I've scrolled through Facebook during church myself. And I've got bored with the preacher and started looking and seeing what's happening on NBA.com myself. Just being honest, all right? The reality is... This is quality time that we spend in the presence of the Lord. Let's block everything out. Let's worship Him for a little bit. Let's, let's let Him know how great that He is and, and how much that we love Him. And is it too much to ask to spend a few minutes talking to Him every day? He wants that kind of a relationship with you with quality time. Where we say, okay, God, I'm shutting out everything. And if you're like us, that means you've got to get up before the kids get up, right? I'm shutting out everything. I'm spending a few minutes and I want to just visit with you. I want to share with you what's on my heart and what's on my mind. Because we can get so wrapped up in the busyness of life, it's easy to fall into the Martha trap. Anybody fallen into the Martha trap before? Where you're busy doing good things, taking care of things that you need to take care of. But you realize, I haven't talked to Jesus in two weeks. Or the only time I talk to Jesus is when I'm in church? Huh. It's the Martha spirit that's gotten a hold of us. But the cry for quality time, I believe in the heart of God. His desire for relationship with us is that we would say, God, the most important thing I have in my life is some time. And since you are the most important person in my life since you are first I'm going to give first love to you and I'm going to give you quality time praise God I, I know this uh, conversation today has had multiple levels about our family about our relationship with our spouse about our kids but it's ultimately about making choices about what we do with this thing called time. Are you killing it? Are you wasting it? Are you throwing it away? Are you dropping it in the trash? Or are you saying, this is what's important to me. This is who is important to me. This is what is valuable to me. Because I told you at the beginning, that time is one of the most valuable resources that you have. Time is one of the most valuable resources that you have. And the way that you spend it and the way that you invest time Shows what is important to you. And it's a powerful way of showing love. And I love Jesus. Why don't we stand together right now? Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. We're going to pray together before we leave here today. And we're going to ask for the Spirit of the Lord to do a work. Because the Word of God is going forward. I'm excited because in just a few moments, we're going to baptize Sister Hannah in the name of Jesus Christ right outside there. She's made a decision that she wants the name of Jesus on her life and her sins to be remitted. So we're excited because she's made a decision to follow Jesus and, and the Lord's already filled her with the Holy Ghost. So we're certainly excited about what God's doing. But today, hopefully during our time of, of, of uh, visiting together in the, the ministry of the Word, that you've had a, a moment to pause and to think about what's important to you. 
What things really matter? What gets your heart? What gets a hold of you? For me, for me, the thing that's the most important is that I do the will of Him that sent me. That I do the will of Jesus Christ. That I please Him. And then right there next to it is I want my wife to know that she's loved. And I want my kids to know that they matter. And they're of great value to me. The people that matter to me, I want them to get my attention and my time. If there's anybody that feels that way, maybe it's different for you. Maybe you're not a father. Maybe you're a mother. Maybe you're not married yet, so you, the spouse thing's not there for you. But you know the important people in your life. My parents are important to me. I want them to know that I love them and care about them. It takes choice as an investment of time. If we want to spend our time wisely by making choices and realizing that I can't do everything, I've got to make choices. And I want God's wisdom and discernment in making these choices. If that's the way you feel, I want us to pray together. And why don't we just... Why don't we just gather up around the front together real quick and we're just going to pray together toward this end before we leave here today. And I want the Spirit of God to minister. I want us to respond to the Word so that the Word can be settled into our spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's one thing that we can't forget. We've got to remember that strong churches are made up of strong families. Strong families that have good marriages. And, and kids that honor their parents. And parents that love their kids. Amen. And so, since that's what strong churches are made up of, that's what Satan's going to fight. Amen. So what we did today, you may think, well, this wasn't a very spiritual sermon. We were talking about marriages and kids. No, it's very spiritual. Because if your family's healthy and your marriage is healthy and your relationship with God is healthy, then you've built up walls that the enemy can't penetrate. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. So if your family's near one, I think it'd be cool if you gather your family around. Amen. Is your family close by? You want to gather together with your family? Let's just take a minute now and do that. And, and there's uh, some of you that are here without any family members. That's great. There's other people here. Y'all can just pray together. Amen. In Jesus' name. It's beautiful. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. As we pray together right now, here, here's what I want us to pray. Because I think you've heard the word and I think you've been stirred. But what really needs to happen is you need to go home and make some changes. This is what really needs to happen. It's not enough to be, be like... You go, preacher. I hear you. You're right on, man. This sermon is of no value if it did nothing but inspire or stir you. But if it can bring change into your life through the power of the Spirit. So I'm going to pray right now that the Holy Ghost would give you a plan. How about that? Give you a plan to realign your priorities so that your time is invested and spent in a way that brings honor and glory to God. And make sure that the people that matter to you feel valued and loved. Can we pray right now? Lord Jesus, I thank you, my Savior, right now for every family that's chosen to be with us today. Every family and every individual, Lord God, that's come out today and every family individual that's a member of this church. We understand today, Lord God, from your word that you put great priority and great value on our time and how we use it. And I pray in Jesus' name that the stirring that's happened in our spirit and the insight or revelation that's come to us, Lord God, would transition into action. I pray in the powerful name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that Your Spirit would blow into the minds of men and women. You would give them, Lord God, understanding and insight to what it takes, Lord God, to live victorious Jesus and to live out their life so that our life reflects our values so that the investment of our time reflects what really matters to us and Jesus right now Lord God I pray for my family I pray for my children I pray for their spiritual health above all else they got to be saved
In Jesus' name, God, I pray that I live my life before Him in such a way, dear God, so that Your character would shine through me, Lord God. And I would not be a stumbling block to my kids' salvation. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ and rebuke the devourer off of my kids. Come on, Mom and Dad, pray right now. I pray, Lord Jesus, that they wouldn't feel that they have to go looking somewhere else to feel love. But God, give me the grace and the courage to discover how to make my kids know that they are precious and valued in the name of Jesus. I pray your blessing and your protection. I plead the blood and I pray a hedge, Lord God, around my family in the name of Jesus. I pray a hedge around my marriage and around my spouse and my wife in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord God, for those that are precious and important to me. I pray in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. In the name of the Lord. In the name of the Hallelujah. 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 And if you want Jesus to be in the center of your life, in the center of your marriage, in the center of your family, now I want you to lift up your hands to Him right now. Hallelujah. I love you, Jesus. I don't want to get caught up with the busyness and miss the opportunities to have special, momentous times with you. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. My life is yours. I'm going to follow You. I'm going to live for You. I'm going to walk with You. In Jesus' name, You are everything to me. And I pray, Lord God, hallelujah, that You would cause me to make choices that would reflect that value. You're number one for me, Lord God. You are first in my life. You are my first love. Everything else falls underneath my commitment and my sacrifice and my love for You, Jesus, in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. If You meant that... And you believe it. Let's praise Him right now. Praise Him right now. Hallelujah. Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to it will always be it's always been you Jesus Jesus everybody sing Jesus at the center of it all Jesus at the center of it all Jesus at the center of it all from beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Jesus, nothing else matters. Nothing in this world will do. Jesus be the center of my life. From beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Jesus, nothing else Yeah. 
Come on, if you feel that way, give Him praise right now. It's all about you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. So this week, let's endeavor to live our lives in such a way that we're communicating love with quality time to our Savior and to those that matter to us. God bless you. Dismissed in the name of the Lord in just about five minutes out in the courtyard area. Sister Hannah is going to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. We invite you to join us. God bless each and every one of you. And we'll see uh, many of you Tuesday night as we study the book of Genesis together. God bless. Yeah.